You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, Roger, Dominic Cummings has renewed his assault on the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, releasing messages apparently showing the Prime Minister describing him as hopeless, plus an expletive or two, which we won't include on radio. The former Downing Street advisor made a series of allegations against him during an appearance before MPs last month. Now he's published these WhatsApp exchanges with Boris Johnson. The Prime Minister sending these expletive-laden messages and calling the PPE procurement a, quote, disaster. Well, the controversy over Cummings' messages came as MPs backed the government's plans to extend virus restrictions in England to July the 19th. Boris Johnson said time was needed to fully vaccinate more people before dropping the requirement for social distancing and lifting restrictions in areas like large sporting events and nightclubs. Well, the number of new cases in the UK is rising, going over 9,000 daily coronavirus infections as of Wednesday, and that is the highest daily total since February. The latest study led by Imperial College London shows that the prevalence now of COVID-19 in England is increasing exponentially. So the report said that a doubling time of around every 11 days was now the estimate, the R number, at 1.44. Well, that's the position in England. Let's talk about the situation in Scotland. Joining us now is David Linden, MP for Glasgow East and the SNP's Work and Pensions spokesperson. David, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. We'll talk about the current situation in Scotland in just a second. But first of all, just what position did the SNP take on this vote in Parliament about the extension of uh, the English uh, restrictions? Did you abstain? Did you support? What did you do? Yeah, I mean, so as I have stayed on it, it's very much a matter for members of parliament representing England to have a, a say on what happens with public health measures down there. I think it's only right uh, that English MPs had that say, so, so I have stayed on that vote last night. OK, what is Scotland's path out of the lockdown um, and will it change? Because obviously the Delta variant affects all of the UK. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the decisions that we are taking at the moment are very difficult and complex ones. Um, mm. I think there's a, a real recognition on the part of all politicians of these islands that the, the Delta variant um, has obviously changed things rather a lot. You know, all these roadmaps, whether it's roadmap in England, whether it's roadmap in England, uh, Scotland as well, you know, all these roadmaps have had to be amended as a result of the, the emergence of the Delta variant. We know um, that the, the Delta variant is spreading faster than the previous strains of the virus. 
it certainly accounts for well over half of, of Scotland's daily cases. So I, I think it's right, therefore, that, that, that governments across the UK are just pausing, um, making sure that, you know, I, th- I think everything has been about dates. Uh, we, we don't want to go for dates. We want to look at the data. And the data clearly suggests that the virus is spreading faster than we thought when, when these plans were put in place. So I think it is probably right for, for the UK government to take that decision last night. We in Scotland have already put the brakes on some of the, the, the planned changes to the, the route map out of lockdown. And I know that that's frustrating for my constituents, but what we don't want to do is, is end up in a situation where the NHS is overwhelmed or indeed the people become sick as a result of this virus. We, you know, we're making really good progress with vaccination. I do believe that vaccination is very much uh, the route out of, of, of lockdown, um, but we, we certainly need to make sure that we have more people vaccinated with two doses that we're not quite there yet. And that's why we've had to put brakes on things. But I'm confident that we will get there soon. Well, David, I mean, let me ask you in more detail then about your constituents, because you're in Glasgow. Glasgow is, I think, under the strictest uh, restrictions currently available in Scotland. And obviously that has a huge painful effect on business. I mean, you must be getting a lot of your constituents coming and saying, how long is this going on for? Yeah, no, totally. And I think that that's one of the, the key things that we recognise at the moment. Obviously, uh, Glasgow has moved to, to level two. Um, that, that's certainly been, you know, hugely important for us in terms of people who have been able to return to, to indoor hospitality. But I think one of the things that people have been frustrated about, rather understandably, has been the, the restrictions on social distancing. Now, the, the social distancing measures do have to remain in place. Um, but as I say, we are hopeful that we can move that at some point. But in the meantime, you know, there's been a plethora of business support measures put in place by the Scottish Government. Certainly every penny that's, that's been barnetised, we've passed on to business. I know that our finance secretary, Kate Forbes, has been working flat out to make sure that they get that financial support to the hospitality sector. And I know from speaking to you know restaurants and pubs and loan constituency that that financial support has been hugely welcome. But there's no doubt that they want to be able to move when it's safe to do so to lesser restrictions. And that's what we're focused on doing as soon as we're on top of the virus. OK. Uh, what do you think of the um, Health Secretary and how he's handling things? Matt Hancock coming in for criticism yet again from Dominic Cummings. Hopeless? Um, well, I mean, I think there, there's no doubt that there are mistakes that have been made in all parts of the United Kingdom. One of my big concerns with regard to the current health secretary and the British government has been that they've been slow to act um, when it comes to, to looking at the data. I mean, I think what we've seen on a regular basis has been the Scottish government taking perhaps what people consider to be more strict measures. Um, but, you know, let's not forget that we're doing all of this on the basis of clinical advice. But one of the, the big problems that I think we've had with the British government is that they've been trying to almost kind of manage this in a way that kind of pleases people. And, and, and you know, I understand that as a politician, one of the things that you want to do, you, you don't want to unnecessarily upset your constituent. But when you're in the height of a global pandemic, you've got to take decisions that might not be popular. And far too often, I think, you know, for example, the UK locked down too slowly. We were still in a situation in March. We had numerous flights coming into the UK from Italy. Um, I, I would have major concerns about the, the security of our borders. Um, whether that was in respect of Italy, whether it was in respect of the Brazilian variant. Um, so I, I think far too often the UK government has been slow to act. I might not use the, the same expletives that, that Dominic Cummings did, but I think there are a number of people who will be listening to this programme, a number of people who are constituents of mine, who will think that you know aspects of the, the UK response to coronavirus certainly could have been a lot better. David, let me ask you about something I know that is close to your heart. You just recently took over the uh, all-party parliamentary group on whiskey, Scotch whiskey, and uh, there's been something of a victory. I mean, tariffs uh, between the UK and US are off. Yeah, I think this is fantastic news for the the Scotch whiskey sector. I mean, this is a massive part of our economy, our food and drink sector in Scotland. And what we've seen is around about £600 million of exports 
um, sacrifice the result of this 25% tariff. So I very much welcome the news that has come out of the, the talks between the US Trade Representative and Liz Truss uh, today. I think this will be a, a massive shot in the arm to the, the Scotch whisky industry, which is very much the, the goose that lays the golden egg for the for the UK economy. Um, but I think there's also got to be a clear recognition as well that you know the, the sector has faced almost a kind of triple whammy. Um, whether that's been on the, the pandemic, whether it's been on Brexit and whether it's been on tariffs. So I really want to see the UK government come forward and now respond to that, that long-awaited review on alcohol duty. Um, the fact is that you know the, the, the Scotch whisky is, is taxed very unfairly. 75% of the cost of a, a bottle of whisky is, is certainly on tax. Um, mm. So the, the UK government needs to come forward with an answer to that alcohol duty review. Um, but today is a massive day for the industry in Scotland and one that I think we'll all be raising a dram to tonight. Okay, so that on Scotch whisky. We're speaking to David Linden, MP for Glasgow East uh, and the SNP's Work and Pensions spokesperson. David, we spoke to the former Prime Minister, the former Chancellor, Gordon Brown, just earlier this morning on Bloomberg Radio. He was talking about the independence argument for Scotland. Have a listen to what he said. I think you'll find that changes in the whole of the United Kingdom and the way the centre operates uh, and it's, uh, if you like, weak relationships or ineffective relationships with Scotland, with Wales, with Northern Ireland and with the regions of England is a matter of uh, deep uh, worry in every part of the United Kingdom. And I think that's what should be looked at uh, as a way of uh, trying to resolve some of the problems that arise. When, you know, 21st century nationalism is very different from uh, the anti-colonial nationalism of the 19th and early 20th century. And it starts from economic insecurity, which we've talked about and should be addressed. Uh, but it also uh, is about political distrust. People don't feel they're being listened to. We've got to do something about that. Uh, David, that was Gordon Brown obviously talking to us, uh, and he sees nationalism, Scottish nationalism, amongst the, the ones he listed for us, uh, as being essentially a matter of distrust, a, a very different beast than, as he said, the nationalism of the 20th century. Um, has he got the right sort of analysis of where the, the moves towards independence are coming from? I'm not sure he does, actually. I, I'd rather see Gordon Brown as being a kind of a, an analogue politician in a digital age. Um, there are very few uh, questions in Scotland to which the answer is Gordon Brown. Um, I, I think that part of the problem with Gordon Brown is he's just so out of touch now with you know what people in Scotland do, say and think. Um, we have a whole generation, a generation a bit like myself, who have grown up only ever knowing devolution. And yes, devolution's been fantastic in so far as you know, where, where Scotland has had the opportunity to take different decisions. For example, making sure that education is based on your ability to learn rather than your ability to pay. And um, you know, there, there have been good things that have come from devolution, but devolution has also highlighted some of the, the major deficiencies that, that Scotland faces as part of our current constitutional settlement. A lot of that, I think, has been highlighted and exacerbated by Brexit, by the coronavirus pandemic. But there's no getting away from the fact, and Gordon Brown has to understand this, there's no getting away from the fact that within the current context of the United Kingdom, there is a democratic deficit whereby people in Scotland at every election since the 1950s have gone and voted majority against the Conservative Party, but we've ended up so often with a Conservative government we didn't vote for. So independence, the beauty of independence is that Scotland will get the government that it votes for uh, not governments like Boris Johnson. And that, that's the key mm-hmm. question that people in Scotland have to face in this upcoming referendum, and we will have that referendum, is who well, do you want to determine your future? Do you want it to be a government in Edinburgh you vote for? Or do you want it to be Boris Johnson? Well, this is it. No, I hear the campaign lines, um, but how does the SNP see the path to actually securing that next referendum? I mean, what happens if Boris Johnson holds that line um, that the, the referendum has been done for a generation? 
Well, I don't think that is a line that can hold, not least because we've just come through an election in Scotland. You know, bear in mind that we have a majority of pro-independent MSPs in the Scottish Parliament and an unquestionable mandate for Scottish independence. Now, I think I would turn the question back in its head to yourself, Caroline. Boris Johnson went into the 2019 general election on a clear, unambiguous campaign message of get Brexit done. He got a majority and he got forced to do Brexit. I think he's got to understand that people in Scotland yeah. have voted by majority for a, a pro-independence parliament. Therefore, what, what's changed that Boris Johnson can no longer you know, respect democracy? The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And, Caroline, we start with uh, possible, well, liberation for people who are fully vaccinated. Yes, it may mean your summer holiday, Roger, is on. People who are fully vaccinated could be able to travel abroad to more places without having to self-isolate on their return. Uh, under these plans, being considered at the moment by the government, officials are looking at relaxing restrictions to amber-list countries for those in England who have been double vaccinated. But... Tory MP and former Conservative Party leader Ian Duncan-Smith says that there could be problems with this. There are issues around people who for some reason aren't able to and can't have a, a jab. I don't know if we go all the way down to all the younger adults, so what about teenagers uh, as well who may not be jabbed? So there are, there are complications to be thought through on this one. Ian Duncan-Smith there. Well, it comes as airline bosses plan to take legal action against the government today over restrictions on international travel. So Ryanair and Manchester Airport Group, which own Manchester, Stansted and East Midlands airports, will call for more transparency over how the government actually decides on the traffic light list system for travel to various countries. Now, the government stepped in to keep power sharing in Northern Ireland on track. Sinn Féin's nominating Michelle O'Neill as Northern Ireland's first Deputy First Minister after they received assurances from Westminster that uh, the government would push forward with legislation protecting the Irish language. Now, it's been a major sticking point for the new DUP leader, Edwin Poots, and was blocking the appointment of key leadership roles in the Stormont Assembly. The DUP is nominating Paul Given as First Minister. He will succeed Arlene Foster, who officially stepped down this week. And British companies have returned more than a billion pounds of furlough cash, according to information obtained by the Financial Times. Com companies have repaid just over £700 million of money to HM Revenue and Customs that had been claimed under the government's coronavirus job retention scheme. Another £319 million was accounted for by companies that had taken the money in error by overclaiming. But that billion pounds, Roger, is dwarfed by the amount that's been spent by the Treasury on the furlough scheme up until the 14th of May, because that totals something like £64 billion. Pounds. Just eye-watering figures there. Well, as you, as you mentioned there, the possibility of more travel without quarantine on the return home. But the virus variant here continues to spread. And, and Caroline, I suppose it's important to know how voters are feeling about the state of the nation. 
Yes, because according to the latest Kantar polling, two-thirds of the public do support a COVID passport for international travel. Joining us now is Grace Lown, who is Head of Public Affairs at Kantar Public. Uh, so, your June opinion polls, Grace. Uh, the public like the idea of the vaccine passport, but actually more and more people are worried about the restrictions being rolled back too quickly. Is that it? Morning. Thanks for having me. Um, and yes, we're seeing around two thirds in support of the vaccine passport for international travel. Uh, and this is up uh, from earlier in the year when it was closer to around 60 or 63 percent. Um, so the majority are in favour and it is it is slowly going up. But we aren't seeing huge leaps in how supportive the public are of the idea of certificate in order to leave the country um, and I think it is worth remembering as well that around one in four people oppose the idea they're against the idea um, and you mentioned the the rollbacks and how comfortable people feel with how quickly things are changing um, and this this study was done just before the government announced the, the delay to the final restrictions being lifted but at that time 42% thought the pace at which the government were adjusting the restrictions was about right. Um, and around a third, a growing proportion, um, thought it was going too fast. So we'll see We'll see how that vaccine passport as the plan to perhaps develop if we see um, increases in the comfort levels there. Yeah, no, it's an interesting area, Grace, because, I mean, we heard there from Ian Duncan Smith concerns about people who can't have vaccines, for example, how that would play. But I suppose the other issue that's really got a lot of attention is this whole notion of mandatory vaccinations. We know now the government is going to push ahead with uh, staff in care homes uh, being forced, in effect, to, to either leave their jobs or have the vaccine. Um, what do people think about that? Because it seems a, a sort of major step in a very particular direction. Definitely. And w what we've seen there is it's, it's more of a divisive issue than certainly the, the vaccine passports. So when we asked uh, in Britain, half of people think that the vaccine should be mandatory for all adults. That's 49% and it's up from when we last asked them in April. However, 42% think adults should be able to choose. So it's very much uh, a divided issue and not, you know, overall accepted just yet. And, and as you mentioned, uh, as Ian Duncan Smith mentioned earlier, how does that affect teenagers or younger people who haven't yet um, been called up to have the vaccine? So uh, remains to be seen if that remains so divided once more people have been vaccinated. And yet, Grace, the overall approval ratings for the Conservatives continue to, to go up, at least according to your measures, and everyone else, all the other parties, look to be losing out. Yeah, we've seen that in the polls this time. So the Conservatives now 13 points ahead of Labour um, at 45 to Labour's 32. Um, so this could be a result of the continuing uh, vaccination campaign and the success yet there. We've certainly seen very high approval ratings for the vaccination campaign. However, I think, it, you know, in this month, we've also seen some dips in the approval rating of how the government are handling the pandemic. So both with how they're handling the management of it um, is up um, in those who think that it's been done poorly. Um, and government communications, we've seen a fall there down from, from 58 now to 49. Um, so as we enter this next phase of managing the pandemic and it kind of moves beyond just vaccines, adjusting to longer term measures of living with it, you know, as Boris Johnson said this week, we may have to learn to just live with it. Um, the bumps in approval rating specifically of the pandemic may continue to come uh, but whether or not that translates to the polls uh, we will have to see. 
What about uh, the Prime Minister himself? I mean, his, uh, his popularity does seem to be at the core of a lot of, a lot of this, perhaps translating into the Conservatives being more popular. But how is he faring in all this? Well, I think that could be translated from the polls, to be honest. I think there's, you know, many people involved across the cabinet in, in how the pandemic's being managed. Um, and in, you know, in light of news that's come out uh, week on week and relating directly to the prime minister, I think we can see in the polls is the perhaps greatest lens of how he's viewed. Um, I think what will also be quite significant is what happens uh, with the rollback of furlough, which will begin next month. So we've seen some slight shift in the way that people think and um, that business support and support for people who have lost income is changing. So we think that now um, only a third of people think that the support for companies that face closure is good and 46% rate it as bad. So I think that will really dictate the kind of reality of how they view, view the Prime Minister and his cabinet in, in the months to come. Uh, I mean, when it comes to bread and butter issues, quite literally, I thought it was very interesting um, that the public um, is aware of rising prices uh, and they aren't um, blaming that on the pandemic. That seems to be a Brexit issue. Yeah, very interesting this month. And it's it's been a, a few months since we've spoken to you about this. So I think that um, what we've seen is that the amount of people who rate that their um, households uh, shop is becoming more expensive as a result of Brexit. Um, that you know that is a real reality of how Brexit might be being felt. So compared to the last time we asked, two thirds now think that their regular food shop will be more expensive um, as a result of Brexit, and that's up seven points from the last time we asked in February. Just five percent think that things will be cheaper. Um, so yeah, COVID is not the only factor impacting household budgets. Um, I do think it's it's worth mentioning as well, though, that, you know, we are seeing some more optimism in the air in our research in terms of how the, the public look at the economy. Um, but soberingly, three in 10 people still now say it's harder for them to meet their household budget compared to last year. And that rises up to a third of the youngest age group that we speak to, the 18 to 24 year olds. So, you know, the combination of COVID and Brexit together will really be um, squeezing some of those household, household budgets. Now, Chris, one of the really interesting things, I think, in, in your latest polling has been about the sort of next priorities, really, for the country, because uh, when, how, you know, fingers crossed, the pandemic abates, where should we go? And, and, and also the question really about whether the green area, the environment area is the thing, climate change is what we should be focusing on, because, of course, the government's got the COP26 coming up in Glasgow uh, towards the end of the year. So what, what do people think about all that? Indeed. And, you know, off the back of the G7 summit, um, it's certainly a, a much higher agenda topic in the news uh, for people to be thinking about. So our research has found that four in 10 people think that after the pandemic, activities to address climate change should be more of a priority to government than before. Uh, and interestingly, it's not just the youngest groups who think this. Um, people aged 55 and over um, are the most likely to say this. You know, they, they're above average in how much they think it should be a priority. Um, but it's not a universal feeling. So it's four in 10 and, you know, 37% think it should be the same as before. And it might not be top of people's priorities list after the last 12 months. You know, we've seen the impacts on jobs and on household budgets, as I mentioned. So it just might not be front of mind for what people think the government should be focusing on. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.